Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's episode, we have We Are the Union's drummer, Brent Lawrence Friedman. Before joining We Are the Union, he played drums in Survey Says, Save the Swim Team, and a few other bands. But Brent also has an interesting history with booking, marketing, and merch fulfillment for ska and punk bands. He's also a dominant ska presence online. For many people, he's the go-to person to tag in every ska meme. Consequently, his Instagram handle is please tag me in your ska posts. I was really excited to talk to Brent just because as much as much as I consider Brent one of my friends, I think we've only ever hung out well, less than less than six times yeah. in real life. So much of our of our friendship is just me harassing him on the internet and just typing ska on everything. Brent is like, he is a totally a ska guy, though. I mean, it's very appropriate for you to say ska to everything he says. It's so funny that that's become like such a big part of, of who he is. Because, I mean, he's he's so much more than just like a ska guy. Like, he's like a degree in mathematics. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> the fact that he's like the ska guy, but he's like good at math is so weird to me. But he, he's an interesting person because a lot of people in the community know him, but he's also, you know, he's a musician he has a history of booking bands. He does merchandise. So he's kind of in all these different pockets of the ska scene. Yeah, I feel like it's it's become important for for people who are going to play music to realize that you, if you want to be in it, you have to be in it all the way. And the best way to do yeah. that is to just immerse yourself and make yourself kind of indispensable to wear all these different hats. And then you aren't just a dude in a band. You're doing all this different stuff. And so you've played... With Brent, um, with Omnigon, I mean, I just decided to, I just decided I wanted to be the guy's friend. I think he maybe hit me up for a show or something, and and just he brought up that he liked Link Eighty, and I was just like, that's cool. Like, I think that was the thing too with with Link Eighty is we existed in in kind of a pre uh, pre internet era. I mean, there was the internet, but it wasn't what it is now. So yeah. anytime anytime anybody shows any interest in what I've done, I'm just like so tickled and I just want to be their friend. Yeah. And he's a great guy too. I mean, I, I, I got to know him later than you, but yeah, I pretty much became friends with him right away. Yeah. I think that was the the biggest thing with Brent is he's just so easy to get along with. Like, I feel like I vibe with him really well. And even though we've only hung out a handful of times in real life, I, he just really feels like one of my, 
like really close friends. You got you got into Scott at a pretty young age, right, Brent? I did, yeah. My brother and I got into like punk and Scott at the same time, from what I remember. I think it was because like we had just like you know discovered like uh, you know obviously not to make it like a very long story, but fast forward to like when we started getting into like the smaller bands and stuff. We we I I, I don't even know if we even like necessarily like realized that like punk and Scott were like two different things. It was just kind of like oh we're just going to punk shows or something, you know, listening to punk uh-huh. records. And so like I honestly don't remember. And like obviously we're like oh some bands have more and some don't and like whatever. But like I don't remember. I'm trying to think like why I even like gravitated more to ska back then. Honestly, like I think <laughs> I I think it was like the only thing I can think of is like uh, me just being like super shy and high anxiety all the time. That like I was just like I was never gonna go in like a fucking like pan at a punk show. But like, but I was like, cool, I'm down to skank. That's easy. That's fun. No one's going to hurt me. Right. You know, like, and so I think it was like something like that. Honestly, I just don't remember. I do remember the first time I ever skanked though. And that was, uh, yeah. Let's hear about the first time you ever skanked. <laughs> was that the, the Jeffrey's fan club, uh, milk music video release party, um, oh. at the, the back alley in Fullerton. Uh, I don't remember who else played. For all I know, Link 80 played that show, but not, I don't know. Uh, um, but yeah, I just like remember like it was a, it was a music video release show. Like they would straight like it was either before they played or after or during the set. Like they turn off the lights and everyone sat down and they just projected the video on the wall. And apparently that was a thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I was just like feeling it during their set, and I was just like super stoked and I skanked and I had like the best time ever. It was great. Um, that was fun. Did anyone teach you how to do it, or did you just like walk, look around at everybody, and go, "Okay, I got it. Let's go." Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, my partner Jessica, I mean, been listening to Scott just as long as I have, and she like she can't get the movements down. Like to this day, like can't properly skank. It's really funny. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, which is like you know, there's there's no there's no wrong way to skank. So I guess I shouldn't say that. You know, um, you know. Yeah, I mean, whatever you're doing to ska music is skanking yeah um but also like uh to go back a little bit also like i feel like because we both like my brother and i like listened to ska and punk kind of like equally i think for some reason at some point i just started like seeking out bands who were kind of combining both and i don't know why but like uh we got that do you all remember that comp on fearless records punk bites yes was that the one that had the picture of the little kid on the front yeah, they made two of them, but there was like the original had an orange cover, uh, but it was like, it had like fucking all of like the Fearless bands that had like all the Kung Fu bands that had like some Nitro bands. I think I'm, I'm probably getting that a little bit incorrectly, but in any case, um, the band that did it for me on that comp was the Sword Jelly Beans. And like, that was like my absolute favorite band, like growing up, like for some reason, I was just kind of like, and I didn't know it was, it was Scott Punk. I was just kind of like, this is, this is band. I, I love this band. I don't know why. And so, actually, Sword Jelly Beans was the first, um, like, the first, like, punk show that I ever went to. Um, or, like, yeah. It definitely was, yeah. So that was your first exposure to ska then, too. Or not your first exposure, but your first live ska show. It was, yeah. It was It was them and that, that band, My Superhero. Um, and that was, 
So this place called the Rec Room in Huntington Beach, which uh, is no longer, the building is still there. It's actually part of this place called Old World Village, which is like this like old, like uh, German themed like shopping center. And it was just like a party room at that place. Um, and they did punk shows there. Um, it's crazy thinking back how I was able to go to shows in Huntington Beach and growing up in Huntington Beach. And like, you know, years later, I, was, I always had to drive like way further to go to shows. But it's also interesting too because i mean huntington beach has kind of a bad reputation for punk shows like (laughs) like a a really violent scene and and so for you to come up and and in the ska in the ska punk scene is a little bit um is cool because then you know you like you said before you weren't going to jump into like a punk rock mosh pit but like skanking is like totally different yeah I mean, I eventually did go into this, and I regretted it immediately, but, you know, it was fun. <laughs> was the ska scene then um, not violent at all? Was it? Uh, well, I mean, you know, fast forward probably just like a couple of years later when it was like, I guess, the quote, quote, heyday of, you know, the Orange County ska stuff. Like, it was, it was pretty wholesome. I mean, you know, it was like, Chain Reaction was obviously the one that we would frequent the most. Um there was always a lot of like coffee shop shows. I always think about how like there would be uh, what seemed like three or four shows a week uh, with almost kind of the same lineup or at least any different combination of some of the same bands. And every show would just have a fuck ton of people. And I'm just thinking like now, if you had like the same three or four fucking local ska bands playing that many days in a row, I mean, there'd be like nobody fucking there. But uh, back but back then it was like the cool social gathering and it was fun and it was yeah it was fun it was cool <laughs> yeah my my band flat planet like oddly enough we only played orange county a few times we always like every time i was trying to book uh, you know to go to southern california or through southern california we always got shows like in riverside or something but the few times we got shows in orange county it was like coffee shops like you said mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. They were like great shows, but we always played with like these skinhead, like traditional ska bands who were um, actually down with us. But yeah, I don't know. I never got to see or participate in the like, like the this uh, this alleged like crazy like vibrant Orange County punk ska scene that was happening. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we we also went to shows like out in the Inland Empire, so like Riverside and, and Corona. Uh, we did that a lot. Um, we went to there was like the showcase theater in corona um and then there was like the barn in riverside which was like on uc riverside's campus i know the aquabats used to play shows there like all the time uh, i think there was like some joke that like travis parker like lived there or something like that um i know they used to play there all the time like during during that whole phase or whatever um and then we also used to go to we used to go to coos cafe in santa Ana. It was like a DIY collective, which I had like, again, like I was way too young to appreciate that whole thing. To me, it was just, it was just like a shit old venue. You know, I was like, I'm just going to go to shows here. Um, that's like one of those places that like, if I knew about today or well, not today during COVID times, but before when I was like still booking shows, I would have fucking booked a ton of shows there and hung out there all the time and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. There was like, there was a lot of stuff a lot of places we used to go to shows and yeah it was always like the same people and it was always very friendly and like the uh the only thing it's funny the only thing i can remember about a a violent ska show which i wasn't actually at but like i remember uh i saw uh, a band fyp at uh at chain reaction 
uh, I think it was back when Chain Reaction was still called Public Storage. In any case, I went to FYP show there, and I remember there was like there was some sort of fight to the point where like the paramedics had to like show up, and then like a news van showed up because it just got like super chaotic like outside. And then I just remember someone coming up and being like, "Man, you should have been here last week." Someone pulled a knife at someone on a ska show. And like, I, I, that was the only context for that story I got. And I just thought it was hilarious. And I re- still remember that to this day. And I, to this day, I still have no idea what Scott show they were talking about. But so there you go. <laughs> Apparently that did happen at an Orange County Scott show. Nice. Um, so your, your um, formative years, we're talking about are during the time when like Scott was like on the radio or Scott was considered popular. Yeah, I, yeah, I think so. I'm so bad with like that whole like time period, but like yeah, late '90s, early 2000s, I believe. And so it was like, I think that all the bands from the radio just kind of like springboarded the, the you know, like if if you were in a local band and it was a genre that was on the radio, then you're cool, you know. So obviously, all the local ska bands were very cool, and that's why they were able to sell tickets and let people just keep the shows and and blah, blah, blah. And then obviously we all know what happens after that. And that's why everyone thought that Scott was cool anymore. But, but yeah, at that time, um, I already forgot what your question was. I'm sorry. So you're, you're, I'm just saying like you were part, when you were a kid in the scene, it was kind of popular, basically. It yeah. was popular yeah. in, a more, in a more overt way. 100%. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah. But so at, at some point in your life, you become like, you know, like liking ska becomes sort of like your identity or a thing, you know, people like know you as like a guy who likes ska. So when did that happen? Did that happen? That must've happened after ska stopped being popular, right? Oh boy. Yeah. Um, it, it's so funny. Cause it's like, I just like never really thought about it as being part of my identity. I was just kind of like, Oh, I just happened to also still like ska, you know? Uh, but, but again, like everyone who can, like ska, you know, after it was cool. Like it, it, you could like as many genres as you want, but if ska is one of them, then it defines your entire, not only musical taste, but your, your entire brand, apparently. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I think it was like um, trying to think. Um, probably, I don't think it was. I, I, I feel like it wasn't until like well after it had to have been like 2014 and beyond that when it was it started being like a a thing where because I think that was around the time I think like late 2000 late 2000s I had that was when a lot of my friends were still listening to Scott and then you know five years later for whatever reason they they stopped and started listening to like other things in the in the punk realm, but like Scott was just like not cool for them anymore. That was when like I would run into those same people, and you know, I I, I they would introduce me as, as to someone be like, "This is Brent. He's a Scott guy," and I'm just like, "Okay, like what is like like why 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 does that need to be added to it?" Also, like y'all used to love Scott, like literally two years ago like what's like i don't even understand and um i think more of that started happening and i think i'm like you know what fuck it i'm just gonna embellish this like 
exaggerated personality that everyone thinks that I have, and I'm just going to make it part of my identity. And uh, obviously, it started as a joke, and then it just became more like that. So, like I always think of like the 2000s as this period where people were like trying to distance themselves from ska, but yeah. So, but the, you know, you didn't get that treatment so much in the 2000s, but it was like in the 2010s that it was more became this like, oh my God, he's still like Ska. Yeah, and I think that has a, I think my um, my experience was different um, than probably like y'all's. Like, it's like, I wasn't playing in Ska bands yet, uh, you know? And so maybe just me, maybe because I wasn't in a band, I had a different experience because like, you know, I started playing in Ska punk bands like a little bit after that. And so maybe that's why, like I was just a fan. So like I saw the Ska bands, you know, you know, dropping the horns and adding synths and, you know, becoming like, you know, power pop bands, like emo bands or just breaking up or like whatever. But like, to me, and like, I knew that like, obviously, like Scott was kind of going away, but like, I didn't like, I didn't realize it was like a, um, there was any stigma with it at that, that time, I guess, you know. Um, but like, so yeah, it wasn't until like later where like my actual Scott friends who were like, Yo, fuck this genre. Why the hell do you still listen to this clown shit? You know, and I'm just like, wait, what? This shit's fun. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> was there still shows happening in any sort of frequency through the, you know, 2000? Yeah, I, I, I think, I think so. Um, you know, I, there was obviously there was like less local bands, and truthfully, you know, the the thing is, sorry, I'm gonna go off on a tangent. I, I think the the, the reason that like what happened like with a lot of people who were listening to ska they um you know they, they were always about like listening to whatever people told them was cool and so uh when when ska wasn't cool anymore they were told to listen to something else um and for me like honestly like to be fair like a lot of the bands back then if we were all listening to them now like you know with a lot of it doesn't hold up and i get that and so like i understand like why there was people like walking away from it but like for me i was able to like discover new bands who were doing like different things with the genre and it was keeping me stoked and like engaged with the genre and still in love with it and stuff like that and i think that a lot of people who who again bailed because like they were told it wasn't cool anymore didn't get the they they didn't get the chance to listen to some of these other bands who were like doing cool stuff and, you know, ensuring them that it was okay to continue listening um, kind of thing. What were some examples of these bands? Like what were the bands that you were interested in? Well, well, I know Choking Victim, Leftover Cracker, very touchy subject these days, but like, honestly, like Choking Victim was like the first band where like, I was like, oh my God, this is like, I fucking love Scott Punk so much. Like that was the band. Um, And then in like no particular order, there was bands like, like Arrogant Sons of Bitches, uh, we are the union was was one of those bands for me like i i saw them for the first time in in denver when i was on tour with my old band and i was like i went home and like downloaded the record illegally i think and i was just like this record like is fucking incredible and so like um there was like i'm trying to think who else um but yeah there was just like a lot of bands like along the way like we weren't doing anything necessarily too crazy but it was like it just wasn't third wave and it just wasn't like and i think they were just like they were just normal people who were still just playing Scott Punk, you know, it was like, there wasn't like, you know, it wasn't gimmicky or anything like that, I guess. One thing I want to ask you about if, if that's okay. Um, uh, you and I have kind of a, a similar history in the, it, we were both fans of the bands that we joined before <laughs> yes. we joined them. 
<laughs> and so I really want to hear your story because I think it's a little bit more drawn out than mine is because uh, We Are the Union was broken up for a while, right? Uh, no, not exactly. So, um, so I first, like I said, just first discovered the band in, oh my God, I don't even remember what fucking year that was. It was like 2009 maybe or something like that. I could be wrong in any case. And so like, you know, I listened to the first record, got super into it. I remember pre-ordering like the second record that came out, um, and then just continued like, um, you know, buying the records. And then I remember when I started getting into like booking and doing like DIY promoting and stuff like that, I, uh, you know, lot too, like nobody really knew who they were in Southern California. So like naturally when um, I knew they were writing a tour, like I reached out and, you know, I, I, I think I booked like, every time they would come to SoCal, I would just like book their shows. Um, and so that was like my relationship for a long time um, with with them. And then, um, and then for those of you who don't know, they're Michigan based. So, um, at some point, uh, it's funny. I, I, the, the band that I, I hated being in this band for two years, but I joined this band from New Jersey called survey says, because like, me, like musically, they almost sounded like we're the union. And I remember being like, well, I'm never going to join. We are the union. So like, yeah, it's the next best thing. I'll do that. Sure. Why not? Um, uh, and then I do that and waste two years of my life, like whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then at the end of that, I just, it kind of just coincidentally Reed, no, it was actually before I went out there, Reed had moved, was moving from Michigan to Southern California. And I had like at that point, because I had booked him a bunch of times and I probably just like punished Reed on Facebook Messenger enough times. Like, I, I don't know if we would be considered friends but I was just like yeah you know I was acquaintance with Reed or whatever so I, ta I talked to Reed like a little bit here and there outside of just like you know just the booking things and whatnot but uh yeah I remember he came out here um and then I went to go join that other band when when he moved out here okay so this might be what you're talking about Adam. when he moved out here um they, this was like I what was it oh right before he moved out here they they dropped the horns uh, because we are the union had so much like they would always get like a horn player that just like couldn't play very well or like had to or just like didn't mesh with the band and for whatever reason they went they went through like a ton of trombone players and finally they're like fuck it we're just gonna play as a ska punk band no horns and they um they did a whole ep with no horns and i think they they um they did like a tour with big d in the kids table with no horns and then after that, that was like, Reed was going to move to California. And like, I don't know if like, we're the, oh, I guess they technically did break up. No, they, okay. They definitely did because I remember they did their last show ever. Um, and I remember as a fan, I like, I like, I like somehow communicated with Reed and I was like, I was like straight up going to like think about like flying out to Michigan to see the, like the final show. Um, <laughs> and and I and I didn't and then I just remember messaging Reed and be like oh I want to go so bad but I can't like can you like save me a set list and like it would mean so much to me like blah 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 and Reed was nice enough to do that uh, I think later I found out that Reed actually just like wrote up a different set list like <laughs> after the show and like mailed it to me I still have I still have that set list yeah um, but in any case so 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 yeah so they did that the farewell show reed moved out here reed moved out to southern california actually to like escape music and like i don't even know what reed actually wanted to do but i think it was just to like get a break from it and they definitely moved to um 
get away from the shitty Midwestern weather. So that was very understandable. But now I'm trying to remember. They like kind of started playing again. They would play Fest every year. I think there may have been like one or two other things that they kind of also did. But it was mainly they would just come and play Fest every year because that's kind of like not really being a band. Uh, they would just do that every year. And at some point, their their drummer who they had for a long time left the band. And they had this other guy uh, play who had also played on last EP. And he was kind of playing. And I remember one of the Fests that they played, I was there. And their their drummer who had recently started playing with them his name was charlie and ran into him at like one of the sets that fast and he was just like he like knew i love that band and he was just like so i'm probably gonna have to go to school pretty soon here and like i don't think i'm gonna be able to play in the union much longer then i'm like he's just like you you start to read because they're probably gonna need a drummer soon um and so i remember reaching out to read and it was before i quit the band from jersey but I basically, I basically messaged Reed because, um, hey, there was supposed to be like a tour they were doing. Um, so I guess now I'm trying to think like how they they broke up and they just I think they just kind of started playing again. But I don't even know if they intentionally were going to be like a full time thing or not. I can't remember. In any case, I just remember reaching out to like Reed and being like, hey, like. Uh, I heard that you have this tour coming up. Like, I also heard that like you might need a drummer. Like, uh, my availability is about to open up. But basically, like, just telling him like I'm gonna quit this band kind of thing. And mm-hmm. he's like, oh wait. He's like, all right, all right, cool. That yeah, that sounds cool. Like whatever. Um, and then you know, I moved, I moved back, and then Reed hit me up and was just like, hey, let's uh, let's get lunch. And then so I met up with Reed in Los Angeles and Pizza Place, and we and we talked about it. And, uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like, yes, we need a drummer. I know like you're a working person, good drummer. And I know you really like the band, blah, 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 blah. And so, so yeah. And coincidentally, uh, that was a mile, that was a uh, milestone day uh, in ska punk for me. Uh, Cause not only was it the, the day that I got asked to join We Are The Union, but on the way to go meet Reed, I got a call from, from Brad Logan of Leftover Crack. And he called he he called me and said, Hey, uh, we need a venue this weekend for this secret show that we're gonna do with Jesse Michaels. Uh, uh can, you help, oh, can, yeah. you help, can you help us out? And I was just like, uh and uh, I don't wanna get too into that, but like yeah, I coincidentally already had a venue for a show booking for like this other band and so long story short, like, yeah, I gotta book that show. And it's funny In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. I don't know. I, I feel like I didn't know that for some reason that you were the one that booked that show. It's it's it shouldn't have been me. Let's just put it that way. Like so, like so, a lot of leftover crack like lives in Huntington Beach. Weirdly enough, um, mainly Brad. Brad's like biggest sweetheart, and Jessica I would just like always run into him at like the local Target or like just like this and that. Like just run into him in like normal everyday life. And so I got to know Brad that way, and Brad knew I booked shows and stuff like that. And, so he randomly like, yeah, he called me and it was just like, since they were trying to do it so last minute, so like low key, that I guess that's why. Well, I remember I'm like, dude, thank you for letting me do this. He's like, yeah, you were the first person I thought of. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> what the fuck? Um, yeah. And so that was the show that, that Left Over Crack was doing the, the video shoot for their song with Jesse. And, and then that day I found out they were doing the 
the actual Operation Ivy song uh, with him too. And I lost my mind when I found that out and I lost my mind even more when I saw it. So, yeah. Nice. So that was all, on their end, that was all planned, what happened that, at that show. Yeah, I, got, I, I think the story there was that like uh, Sturgeon was just like, I mean, obviously everyone in Scott Punk is, is a big Op Ivy fan. Um, and so I, the story was that Sturgeon um, wrote that song um, in hopes of getting Jesse to sing on it, in hopes of being able to, sh- to do a music video shoot with him, in hopes of performing Operation Ivy songs with him. And that's exactly what happened. So, um, yeah. And it wouldn't have happened without you. I, yeah, I it would have happened without me. I just was like, <laughs> yeah, okay. um, but but anyways, to 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 firm up the 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 weird the union story. Um, yeah, so I um, I moved back, and then jeremy you know jeremy actually started playing with we are the union before i did and jeremy you know was also a huge like we are the union fan as well jeremy started playing with them because again like we are the union didn't have horns i think there was a set that they were going to play without horns and someone like jeremy like did a a video of them like doing a trombone cover of, of we are the union song and Someone like posted it on like Reed's wall or something like that on Facebook and was just like, Hey, just joking, like you should have you should have Jeremy play play Fest with y'all. And apparently they watched the video and they were just like, well, I mean, whatever, Fest is pure chaos anyways. If they're bad, like who cares? Like and so they let Jeremy play the the set. And apparently apparently after the show they were just like, You're the best trouble player we've ever had. Like, Wanna join the band? <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's how Jeremy and, joined. And this is and this is like pre Scott Tune Network, right? Oh yeah, 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 hundred um, percent. And and so yeah, and so I, you know, that was that was fun. And then by the next fest, that was my first show with Weird Union. So um, yeah, Jeremy's first show with them was the fest before, and then mine was the one after. Um, I'm curious, like as a you know, as a member of We Are the Union, Jeremy goes from being just this trombone player to being Scott Tune, you know, Scott Tune Network taking off. What was that like from where, what is that had, what has that been like from where the union's perspective? Uh, it's so funny. Cause like the joke is that like Jeremy, uh, you know, was the, the original plan was to use, we are the union to springboard Scott Tune Network. Um, and it very quickly became, became vice versa, but no, I mean, it, it, it's great. I mean, like, uh it honestly has has only helped us you know i mean like jeremy's social media is is a platform that we utilize you know whenever we're we're promoting anything um and jeremy has you know kind of given some of us jobs you know uh reed is basically or will at least be the full-time you know like mixer for all of jeremy's tunes um so reed will get paid monthly for that um you know i handle the emails for jeremy um so i get paid for that and so it's cool i mean it's you know it's it's still like it's kind of still under the we are the union umbrella if you will but it's you know it's it's old jeremy's thing and i mean they worked really hard to to get it to where it's at so 
Um, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. I mean, obviously, obviously, we wish that Beer of the Union was uh, as, had as big of a platform as Scotty Network, but you know, it's uh, not a bad thing. So, when, when did you get into booking shows? I guess, yeah, I don't really know your history with like uh, booking shows, but you you have booked a lot of shows, right? Yeah. So. Um, when I was in bands with my brother, my, this was like 2000 and like mid 2000s, I would say. My brother used to do all the booking. I would just kind of like, I would just play drums. And then I would, uh, you know, kind of just be the, I, actually, I think I used to accidentally be the tour manager on tour without even really knowing I was doing that because of like being the straight edge person in the band and being responsible and like, you know, being organized and this and that, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then in any case, like my brother eventually, cause I was always advanced. My brother is like relied on him heavily to do a lot of that stuff. And then when he finally, he keeps it, whatever band we were in and he like moved out of state. Um, I was kind of like forced to start learning how to do that myself. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, I, at first it was like, you know, booking shows for, I was going to be on called save the swim team. And I used to just book, I would, I would like book shows there and like start booking tours, this and that, um, and I would use my brother's help, but I would also use like other contacts. I think I booked stuff through MySpace at that time. Um, so it was, it was booking shows for like my own band. And then it started, I don't even remember how I started booking other shows for other bands and became like kind of like, because I did everything. I was like booking shows in my own band. I was a promoter, you know, booking shows just for, you know, touring bands coming through. Um, and then I would also, you know, and then I started sometimes actually becoming like a booking agent and booking just touring shows for other bands and, and blah, blah, blah. But like professionally, right? You eventually became like a professional well, booker, right? I think or, it was like, you know, every, with everything I did in music, I like, it's funny because I would like, there would be, I'd spend so many years doing it and then like years later, like realizing that it was an actual job you can get paid to do. Like, you know, I was like, wait, tour manager is like a thing you can get paid? That's an occupation? Or like, wait, you can be a booking agent? You can do all those things? And, <laughs> but, but it was also a lot of it, a lot of it too was like, you know, my my quote-unquote punk ethics would also get in the way of like fuck that i don't want to do this for a living that shit that'd be selling out fuck that shit you know uh, <laughs> which like obviously quickly went away like once i got into my 30s but um but yeah so it was um i think i like at some point in 2000 and like 14 15 it was like when I was playing in services, the band from New Jersey, that I started being like, well, I want to start booking other bands and getting paid to do it. So I slowly started doing it. I wasn't doing a good job. And then eventually, um, eventually I got hired by uh, this guy, Tom, uh, who hired me on. He, he ran and he owns a boutique management and booking agency. Um called over easy booking um so he was the one who hired me uh it worked out that i started like right when i quit being a survey says um and so that was me starting to like book professionally i guess you would say um mm-hmm. so i started booking pilfers for a couple years um i booked a mr t experience um booked five iron frenzy for a little bit um and then that job was, it quickly um, evolved from booking into doing like marketing and into like just day-to-day stuff for bands. And then eventually into the, also just tour managing professionally. Um, so I started tour managing for MXPX. I did a little tour managing for Goldfinger. 
Um, also, in between that, like on the side, I did start like um, Bad Cop. Bad Cop hired me to start tour managing for them, uh, which I, I, I started tour managing for them because they got a tour supporting Leftover Crack, and I was just like, y'all fucking do this shit for free. I didn't do it for free, but I definitely did it for very cheap uh, just because I wanted a tour with Leftover Crack. Um, yeah, and so I just kind of did everything, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Um, and then recently quit that job because of just the stress of everything. But um, mm-hmm. here, I, here I am kind of still doing a little bit of all of that stuff anyways, just for my friends, which I like to do. And it's very fun. I mean, that seems like the better situation of doing it than doing it for people who. Yeah. Cool. And like, and, you know, I, I always forget that even when I was working for those bigger bands, I would, um, you know, I booked booked a couple of tours for Joystick, uh, booked a couple of tours for Kill Lincoln, uh, booked a couple of tours for The Sad. Um, and it, and also, like, yeah, when I when I joined We Are The Union, like, Reed immediately, like, let me, you know, start handling the booking for We Are The Union, um, as well as, you know, handling a lot of the management stuff there, um, as well as, like, tour managing and, you know, all, all the stuff that the lead singer does not want to do anymore, obviously. Um, but yeah, and so, and, you know, doing the, I mean, it was, it was always much more fun trying to book, you know, fucking Kill Lincoln joystick tour, and then would be booking a fucking, you know, weekend of shows for, you know, any of those bigger bands. Um, and so, I mean, when shows come back, like, you know, I thought I didn't want to book anymore, but like, but just booking my fucking friends, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm down. That shit's fun. Yeah, for sure. And and also, I mean, I think we're all getting to the age now where, like, you know, people people are much more willing to like pay a friend than to like pay like pay pay some random person. So I feel like yeah. you're, you're putting yourself in a good position where it's like, you know, all these people trust you, and they're all down to like throw throw you their money rather than throwing some, you know rando person they don't really know i mean it's also just a matter of like trust i mean you know my friends trust me i trust them i yeah, mean that's you know huge. none of them who i mean it's you know most of our bands we're gonna go ahead and get a booking agent like we're not gonna go get someone who doesn't even know who our fucking band is we want someone who, who knows it and again can trust us and all that stuff so at least I'd, I'd like to think so yeah definitely you know, being a booking agent, like, so it's not as simple. It's not just as simple as like having connections and getting gigs. It's also understanding the band and understanding what kind of shows are going to be good for the band, not just a show. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, like when, when we all booked DIY shows back in the day, it was a lot of like, let's just get us a show in these areas. Like we're driving through, we got to just fill all these dates. And it's just like, it didn't even have to make sense. And like, now I'm at that point since I, you know, learned a lot booking some of these bigger bands and uh, figuring out how, you know, to not force situations, I guess. Like, I'm I'm like, well, that will probably work with smaller bands, too. And so when I started doing the, you know, again, Killigan and some of those other things, like, that's what I started doing. And it worked out really well. And it is a lot of, like, you know, at the end of the day, when you're booking a show, it's like, it shouldn't be, like, whether the agent's getting paid a lot. It should be, like, does this make sense for the band? So, yeah. What was it? I'm curious, you know, like dealing with some of these bigger bands and bigger venues, what was, what, what were the experiences like, or what are the things you kind of learned going through that process? 
the biggest thing is that um, people in the quote unquote professional world um, are actually much less professional than the people in the DIY world. That's the biggest takeaway from from working that job. What do, you, what do you mean though what do you mean exactly i mean just like exchanging emails with people they just like don't read and they just like don't necessarily care and it's like they just like they'll tell you one thing and it'll be something else and just like or they'll just like take forever to email you back or they'll just like fuck up like they, they just fuck things up all the time and you know with your the, the trustworthy people in diy like they're gonna or here, here's the, i mean not a specific example but like dealing with like you know, Live Nation and AEG and these companies who are supposed to be spending thousands of dollars marketing your shows. I mean, like, they were just wasting dollars. They were just, like, not doing anything. And, like, you know, mind you, you know, those are those marketing departments are trying to sell 30 shows at once, not just for show. So I get why they're not giving you the attention. But, like, but yeah, at the end of the day, they're just, like, they're just doing a task-based job. They're not actually trying to sell your show. They're just, like, they're just doing that. So, whereas, like, you know, get your buddy, like, who's going to, you know, give your show the same attention he'd give his own band show attention kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's the best way that I could put it. But just, like, yeah, I, you know, uh, there's just, like, also just, like, a lot of those corporate, like, promoters and all that stuff like they just like they just do shady shit and like it's just it's a bummer it's just a job for them they're just like no there's no passion in it for them so Mm -hmm. i guess that's like the biggest thing so your your biggest like kind of thing that got you fed up was it dealing with on the corporate side or was it dealing was was dealing with the bands at this level also frustrating or were they more invested in the art of it than say like the the other industry people around them uh i mean i i really got fed up with it just because it was been terrible for my mental health it was just there was just so much and it was like i mean i i don't want i don't want to throw anyone under the bus but it was just like just working under the pressure of the constant like workload the artists themselves were great like they were always like sometimes they were they were paying the ass as artists tend to be but like you know at, at the end of the day it was just like the constant onslaught of always feeling like i had to be available for everyone other than myself um and just doing that fucking seven days, seven days a week, you know, from second I wake up to the time I go to bed, like, you know, there was always someone hitting me up for something. Um, because again, it was like, I mean, and I'm talking about like during the, you know, the pandemic where like, we're not doing live shows, but like the constant like need to like, well, we now we got to like work even harder and overcompensate because there's not live shows. We got to do this, we got to do that. And so like you constantly, we need you to constantly be thinking about the next move kind of thing. And I'm just like, yo, I just want to get like eight hours plus of sleep, like a night. Like, is that cool? <laughs> like, um, and you know, I, I think the stress from that. And then also just like, um, the, the trauma that like the general trauma that like everyone was, was feeling, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic or at least mid pandemic, several months in, like, I just didn't even have time to process like anything. I had like no time to think to you, like, just like take a week and just be like, what the fuck is going on right now? And so that was like really why I was like, just done. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm, I need I I need a reset. Yeah, I, I can imagine because I I I wasn't I, I didn't go from a lot to nothing, but I did go from a lot to a lot less mm-hmm. for the first few months of the pandemic, and um, I just felt like I couldn't really I couldn't do much like personal 
I, even though I had more time, it was hard for me just to be like, well, I'm going to take advantage of this time and do some personal projects. It was more just like processing, definitely just processing. So I can't imagine like for the people like yourself who were con- just sort of forced to be continue just as busy in the midst of that was it must have been really hard. Yeah, it was. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. It's Barry from the What Podcast. Hey, it's Russ. Hey, it's Brian. And we are giving away two tickets to Bonnaroo 2024. These are GA+, and they include camping. Russ. How do people get qualified? We want to hear your top artists to play on the Bonnaroo 2024 lineup. Call 423-667-7877 and tell us who we should check out. It's the What Podcast. Thanks. It was weird because it was like, I mean, I, you know, on, on, on the one hand, like I was obviously like fortunate to like be working in music without live shows. You know, there was not very many people who were able to say that. Um and other people, obviously, who were just losing their jobs outside of the music industry. Um, but at the same time, like, I had, like, one or two other people who were, like, in the same boat as me who were just, like, working themselves to death because, you know, everyone's boss knew that they were home and always available kind of thing. Um, and that was that was kind of the thing or whatever. And so, yeah, I mean, like, that first week, like, after I quit, I, I think I just sat there and just watched TV for, like, a week straight did absolutely nothing. It was, like, the greatest. It was, like, the greatest thing ever. Um, I just like it needed, I, I needed that hard reset but also at the same time like I was still like any of my it wasn't like don't talk to me about music at all like so like you know Mike from Bad Time Records and for like Jeremy or like anyone any of those people hit me up like I'm still gonna help them with stuff and because again that stuff's always fun for me um, and I can do it on my own time which is like the most important thing ever it's so it's so interesting hearing you lay all this stuff out because I mean we've we've known each other for a while now and yeah. all I'm like, I can't keep this timeline straight. Like I, I completely <laughs> didn't realize that you would like quit during the pandemic. Like for some reason I thought it was before that. And I, I can remember you being stressed out for a while about, about your job. Yeah. I was at, I was at your house, like working on my laptop that one time. Like you, 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 you saw like a very good visual representation of, of how stressful that, that job was for me. Are you talking about the uh, Omnigon recording session? No, this was when we were just playing playing the show. We were supposed to play. I think it was maybe was it the first Gilman show or was it the Bob? Yeah, it was. It was, it was the Gilman. It was the Gilman show. Yeah, yeah I remember that. So. Like, and you know that that day, you know, it had kind of just been set aside to like get ourselves. You know, we practiced the day before. Then we were just going to hang out all day until it was time to go load in for the show. And uh, yeah, and and Brent. Brent and Reed just had to like sit on their laptops at my, at my uh, dining room table and put in, put in like a full day of work basically. Yeah. Which, you know, is, you know, is, is fine if that's what you have to do, but it was just like, I mean, I, I could straight up just see like how hard you guys were working. Yeah. I made it to July before I quit. Um, you, we're really all the way to July. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm uh, 
just kind of coincides too with that the the band that I joined in Jersey that I quit. Like I'm notorious for just like getting myself in these like borderline almost abusive relationships, uh, whether it's I mean well emotionally abusive, and me being just like who I am and just being like a super hard worker and like very nice, uh, and also just like never wanting to inconvenience people. Like I'm like terrible at like getting myself out of those situations because like oh, I don't want to let anyone down or like you know, maybe it's not as bad as I really think, like, or maybe we'll just get better or like, blah, blah, blah. blah. Uh, and so I stick around like way too long than I'd like necessarily like need to. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people will, will take advantage of my good nature, unfortunately. Um, yeah. So that's why I lasted. I, I was at that job for four, four and a half years, I think. Wow. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll be right back after this. So, so Brent, so you and I are both drummers. Yeah. Um, when I was in Flat Planet, I did pretty much everything for that band. I booked all the shows. I organized rehearsals. I took care of merch. I did like our newsletter. Um, is there something about being a drummer that like kind of lends itself to that? Do you think? <laughs> you know, what's funny is like, I, I would say so, but like, I've met so many drummers along the way who would just go like, I don't know, man. I just play drums. I just hop in the band when you tell me to. You know what I mean? And I'm just like, no, I have no idea what you mean. Actually, I need to know. I need to be a part of everything that's going on with this band. Like, how do you function that way? Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I would agree. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It's funny, like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm obviously, like, realizing way more drummers are doing this kind of thing. Like, I mean, Matt from Less Than Jake, like, he, he manages the band and he, he does all that stuff. And, like, yeah. Um, trying to think of more examples but like yeah obviously there's more now but yeah i think like uh you know uh my 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 early years of touring and stuff like that yeah everyone like every drummer i met was a complete fucking shit show it was just like i don't give a shit about that to be fair i don't need a lot of musicians who also want to do the business side of things so i guess that makes yeah sense. maybe there's like two speeds to drummers like either you're just like totally clueless and like like <laughs> high on drugs or you're like, I'm fucking like organized and I'm business guy. I mean, I, I could definitely see that with, with drummers um, being Aaron, maybe you can speak to this. How was Chuck Phelps on tour? Was he organized? He was, um, he was like um, just a side story about him. He, he drummed really, he had like a really weird way of drumming. Like I didn't understand this until we were touring and then Mike kind of explained it to me because I was watching him drum. He like has to count everything he plays like in his head. He cannot play anything by feel. He has to count it. And if uh. he loses his count, he just loses the beat. <laughs> you know, I asked I asked Chuck about that and he he said he said that's bullshit. So that might just be that might just be Mike saying that about him. Yeah, I think I think for me, I think for me, it was like I, you know, I, I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Like I think that like being the like one of the only sober people, and like all the like the earlier tours that I did with like my brother and other people, and finding myself just kind of being the the responsible one and being like, hey, we're running late, we should probably let the promoter know, <laughs> or like you know, I would be you know even beforehand, I would print out like the the map quest directions that like just put together almost kind of like a tour itinerary again without really realizing that's what I was doing. And so I think it was a combination of that. And then also like, 
I I have a bachelor's in mathematics, and so like my my brain's always just in problem solving mode, honestly. And so I think between those two things, it's just like like I don't even know how I like why I would have like got interested in doing the business side of things but like again it's just like i think it's just like my brain just needs like wants to like solve every problem and wants to like to know what's going on in every aspect of everything and so between that and being the responsible person it was like cool i guess i'm tour managing and, and managing and just doing everything because why not um, yeah i i think that's the most interesting thing about you is, is that that statement of like needing to know what's going on because there's so many times when when you're talking to me about Omnigon stuff or I'll I'll make a move, and yeah. it's happened multiple times now when you're like I had I knew nothing about this and it's and it's weird but also kind of an exciting feeling because <laughs> I didn't know about this. Yeah, yeah. Like Mike, Mike, Mike from Bad Time would just be like, "Hey, uh, he will like mention something about an Omnigon song coming out, like as if like I, as if like I would already know about it." And I was just like wait, what are you talking about? And then, and then on top of like not knowing about it, then I have to go back and like figure out if it was a song that I played drums. <laughs> everything's, a, everything's a mystery. That's always a fun game too, trying to figure out which drummer it was. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm, I'm probably not the only one who's playing that game. I feel like you don't even know half the time oh, either, right? Justin, like, Justin definitely plays that game. I definitely have to play that game. That's so funny. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause like, I, I don't know any of the song titles, which is the problem. And so like, but this, you know, the first couple seconds, I'm like, okay, I remember this one. Yeah. Yeah. I remember right. That. I mean, half the songs had yeah. no song titles when we went into the studio or they That's got changed. True. So well, half of the songs didn't even have songs. So. <laughs> yeah. There was just, it was just parts. I love that though. It's, it's great. But yeah, it's, it's, it's nice, I guess, like ha- freeing up the brain capacity, not having to, to worry about the Obnagon stuff. I mean, like, obviously like, you and you and I had that call earlier today, and now, of course, my brain's just like, Nick, you know, completely engulfed in, in Omnicon stuff now. But like, but yeah, um, yeah. But most, I, I also like, realized yesterday that I'm I'm really bad about communicating all this stuff. Like, I'll just <laughs> keep it filed away for myself, and then like Barry will, Barry calls me up, and you know, he's he's like, well, what, what should we be doing? You know, he's he's like. Cause, and then I realized like, oh, I haven't told you any of the things that I'm, I'm thinking about, <laughs> like all the different plans that I have in place and things that I'm, I'm wanting to do. Like I, it's just been me conferring with myself. So I'm, I'm trying to be better now about, you know, communicating that stuff. So, that, you know, I don't know how, like Barry's not super interested in being involved in any of the decisions, but he just wants to know what's going on. For and sure. then like, yeah. like all the stuff that I laid out for him yesterday, he's like, all of that sounds awesome. So I was like, great, like no problem. That's like, uh, you know, half of where the union's kind of like that too. And so we started doing, um, we do weekly Zoom calls where I just kind of like, you know, cause Reed and I will meet once a week in person and kind of like work on some stuff. And then like, you know, there's, there's like the group text like thread, but like it just gets, lo- everything gets lost in memes. So like, <laughs> and I learned that very it took me a while to learn that that was happening. And so it was like, fuck it, we're just going to do Zoom calls. And so it's like the only way to like me knowing that I had the peace of mind, like whether they absorb it or not, it's the peace of mind knowing that I've at least tried to formally uh, convey everything that's going on to everyone. So yeah, it was, it was actually you guys doing those Zoom calls that made me feel like I needed to call Barry. (laughs) Like straight up. Like I saw you guys post about that and I was like, that's a good idea. I should probably keep him informed. 
Yeah, it was like once the pandemic hit and Reed and I, it was it was like so it was like uh once I once I quit my job, it was like me and Reed met and I was like, Well what do you want to do now? Like I got I got tons of time and so we we're like, Let's do this, 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 this and we just like listed off a million things and so it was like we should probably like keep and so we like had like the first band zoom meeting and it was just like an onslaught of information. And everyone in the band was just like, I'm not gonna remember any of this shit and so I was like, All right, fuck it, let's just do a weekly. So it helps. Um, yeah, but yeah, for me, I don't know if the, I don't know if you relate to this. You know, the reason that I took all that stuff on is because I just felt like I really want this stuff to happen, and so I'm gonna make it happen. Like that, I feel like that was my entire drive of like doing all this stuff. Like it wasn't even like we didn't have even have a discussion about it. I just was like, I'm, I want this to happen, so I just figured out how to do it. How do you book shows? How do you, you know, how do you get merch? All that. Was was it similar for you? Was it just like the the desire to make it happen and like making sure that it happened? Yeah, I think so. I think it was like you know because I like learned how to it was it's I, I think it's like the similar story with everyone where like nobody was gonna help us and we wanted to do it and we were just like, well, okay, well, we're going to fucking do it. And, but nobody else in my band wanted to do it. I'm just like, okay, well, I'm the overachiever in this band. I'm going to go and do it. Uh, <laughs> and so, and I think from like the earlier days of booking shows and booking tours and stuff like that, obviously like my, my natural trajectory was to, you know, get into management and stuff like that. I just didn't know it back then, or even though that was a, a thing you can, you know, not that I'm getting paid to do it for weird union or anything like that, but like, um, you know, um, but it is a thing that you can get paid to do, obviously, for other bands and stuff. But oh, one one question I wanted to ask really quick: When you were promoting your own DIY shows, did you have a production a, a name for your production company? I didn't. No, I just like I was just like using my fucking personal like face page and shit like that. Like, dude, I was I let me. I was not a good promoter. I was trying my best, but like I nobody knew who I was. I would just like book shows and lose money off of like small guarantees for like bands and stuff like that. Um and I mean it helped me get a lot of contacts and people still had a good time and the bands always got paid and you know. Um I think I got my foot in the door with a lot of things that I needed to and and, and whatnot. But yeah, there was never any like I don't think I ever wanted to like go in the direction of being a promoter so i never really thought about it like that hard i just kind of kind of did it um got it yeah so adam um so for omnigun you know you you've you've worked with what four four drummers at this point you rent justin joey okay tell me a little bit about like why you wanted brent to be part of the project brent you got to remind me here a little bit <laughs> We became friends on Facebook. Yeah, um, yeah. I I don't know if I was friends with you already, but I remember the first time I communicated with you was um, I booked a show for Save the Swim Team, my old band at the time, and I want to say it was at uh, Submission Art Space in San Francisco. Was that a venue? Maybe. Was it? So that that was that was that was also called Belazo Gallery. Got it. Okay. And I think we, it was, you know, it, it was, it was a show that I was able to get the venue, but needed to get like local bands. And someone was like, you should ask Narboots. It has Adam from Link 80. And I was just like, oh shit, I love Link 80. And, 
you know, knowing nothing about Narboots, of course. Right. So I think I, I said, I'm pretty sure I sent you a message, like a personal message, if I remember correctly. Um, and you were very nice and you said you couldn't play, but again, you were really nice. And then I'm pretty sure that was the first time I talked to you. Okay. And then from there, we must have like, you must have caught on. I probably told, maybe I told you I was a Linkady fan in that message maybe or something. I don't know. I don't remember. And so I think like the first kind of couple of interactions after that were like probably on my post. I don't think it was like right away you started doing the thing where you would just write ska as a comment <laughs> on my post. I think, I think you built up to it. I think it was like a... Uh, again, like maybe there was like a couple other like Linkady conversations or something. I can't remember, but yeah, I just remember at some point you just like any. I mean, obviously most of my con my posts were just like, you know, about Scott Punk this or Scott Punk that or whatever. And so like you would just you would just comment on that. And then um, the first time we met in person was uh, it was at, it was right after I quit Survey Says and Jessica and I went up. To the Bay Area, I think the Sketchfest. I want to say, I can't remember, but we went up there and I never like we visited Mike Park and we did all that. And like I was like, I think you and I were Facebook messaging me, and you're like, oh, if you're if you're gonna be like around here, like you should come by and like have dinner or something like that. And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> and then we did, and I just remember like two or three hours already into hanging out with you you were like you know we've never actually met before and i just invited you over for dinner and we just thought it was like funny um i i, I mean i knew i mean i feel like i had a good impression of you i i felt like you were a good person and like you know, i knew you were like a, a ska kid and i was like that's awesome and uh yeah and then and then i just I'm just like so friendly that I'm just like, come over, have dinner. And like, I think there's a picture of that first time you're over at my house. And one of my sons is like hitting you in the head with a stuffed animal. That sounds like <laughs> And I can't remember if it, so I, I'm not sure if you would quit save the swim team at that point. I feel like that came later. Well, save the swim team. I quit years before that, but it was survey. I know I quit survey says that weekend because, um, Man, I don't even know if I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, uh, but like it was, so we talked to, I I talked to Mike Park um, in Montreal at uh, Pusa Fest. The survey says played the same stage as Bruce Lee Band. Um, and at that point I had kind of talked to Mike a bit and he knew that that survey says toured a bunch and that he liked me and we're hardworking, blah, blah. And he was just like, oh, we should, we should do a seven inch. And I remember like being like so ecstatic. Like, oh my God, I'm going to put out seven inch on Asian Man Records. Holy shit. It's so cool. Um, you know, and then I think the the band started writing stuff for that seven inch and then I, and then I quit uh before any of that like saw the light of day and I I I remember um that when we visited Mike that weekend, he was just like, Oh, so so what's up? How how have you been? I was like, Oh, not much. And I was just like, I quit survey says and I uh my my the first thing Mike says is do I still have to put up that seven inch? And then he's, like, he's like, I was only putting it up because you were in the band. And I was like, oh, I thought it was like the sweetest thing ever. And it was also like so much validation for me. I was like, oh shit. Um, hopefully it's okay that I told the story. Mike no, I, I think it is. I mean, Mike Mike had told me the same thing. I, I, I didn't know it was only a seven inch. I thought it was like an album. 
But I remember Mike being like, Mike was like, oh, the only reason I'm putting this out is because like <laughs> I like Brett. But but I remember talking to you about that then because I think you were like texting Mike like or something like that that, that, that makes night. Sense. Yeah, um, that's at least that's how I remember it. But God, that was so fucking funny. I just remember I was just like, oh, it's perfect validation because like you know uh, not to get too into it, but like part of the reason I quit that band was because I was like working my ass off for them and not receiving like any sort of like credit, and they, well they were also treating me like shit, blah 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 blah. And so to get the validation of like, I got this thing for the band and it was only happening because of me. And then having it getting taken away from them and like with the band, I thought, I thought it was so cool. It was like, uh, well, but, but yeah. So, so um, I can't remember if it was at that night, that night that we had dinner. I can't remember if it was then that you said, and if you ever want to do a Scott punk band, I'll play drums. I think it might've been that dinner though. It might, it might have been, yeah. So that was that was the day that Omnigon was was formed. Basically, uh, because I was like, I was like, wow, this this dude who's like, you know, super friendly and and can play drums, like, which is like the hardest thing I feel like to, you know, score for a band. You know, throwing throwing down that gauntlet, that I'll, you'll play drums is kind of huge. So before before uh, the first time you recorded with Omnigon was the only time that you had played with Brent um, just that one Narboot show? Oh, yes, definitely. <laughs> so, then, so then the studio was like the second time. Yeah, probably. Huh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that, that Omnigon show was something, or that, sorry, that Narboot show was something else. I remember, uh, do, you, do you remember why you asked me to do that? No. Oh, I do, yeah. Well, I... I think at that same dinner, we were, were we talking about doing the Link 80 reunion at that point? I think you had mentioned it to me. Yeah. Um, so I was, I was worried. We, we had done like a, a soft reunion years before for Matt Bentinelli's birthday. And we played Dessa played at the, uh, on the rocks above the Roxy. And the, the whole surprise was going to be that we, a couple of the Link 80 dudes came out and we were going to switch formats from Dessa get Matt on stage with a second guitar and we were going to bust out some Link 80 songs. And Joey, um, something happened with his wrist and he was having a real hard time playing the songs. And it like really freaked me out because like, he, it wasn't like he had taken a break from playing music. He was still playing music, but like all of a sudden he wasn't able to like hang with like fast punk rock. So then I started to worry that for this Link 80 reunion that he was going to flail and not do it. And he also was kind of being bad about emailing us back and confirming that he was in for it. And so I think at this at, at this uh, dinner, I think I was like, man, you just need to learn all the Link 80 songs. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know. Wait, maybe it was. I, I do remember like driving home, back home from San Francisco like just listening to the Link 80 discography. So that makes sense that you're just like alluding to like the back. And I remember like straight up like trying to, what was it, like a 35 song set list or something? It was a lot. It was way too many songs. It was so many. And I, just, I had no idea what we were going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're just like, learn everything. But I was so stressed out about it because, you know, I was all in on it. And uh, I was so stressed out that we were going to, you know, put all this work into it, you know, order merch and whatnot. And then Joey wasn't going to show up or he wasn't going to be able to hang. 
I felt so good once we all got into the same room and he actually sat down and played the songs and you know had no problem i think i texted you later but at that point you'd already put in all this work yeah i think i like no joke i want to say it was like it wasn't until like two weeks before the show yeah. that you finally because i remember like i would try to learn like three or four songs a day and then it was like okay <laughs> oh my god like weeks uh and so you were like, so you had this opportunity to play drums for a reunion of a band you were a big fan of. And then what you ended up getting instead was you got to play um, Narboots, this band, yeah, was, weird band. It was, it was like, there were so many songs and I was just like, there's no way I'm going to say no to doing this. But at the same time, like, I was so fucking stressed. Like, I was like, I remember too, like, I called Adam being like, please say Joey's like actually doing this. Cause like, I'm like, I'm going to like die of anxiety trying to learn <laughs> and uh it's it's so funny because i remember there was a couple that were giving me a hard time and then y'all ended up not even playing those songs i remember at the show being like fuck man i could have done this out it would have been fine you know? <laughs> uh, but but yeah i remember like i was like man i really wanted to play what was it asian man 20 is that what year it was I yeah know. yeah and you were like i was like oh, i really want to play asian man 20 you're like well you want to play drums for Narboots? and i'm like sure sold <laughs> <laughs> you, sent, you sent me those songs and i was like wait is there actual drums in this you're like no just play whatever and i'm like all right well the best the best part too is i sent you the wrong track for one of the things <laughs> i didn't even know that <laughs> it didn't even matter though you just played you played along to it perfectly i uh i just yeah and i remember after that show uh, like immediately after the set everyone's like oh is that your first time playing with with narboots i'm like dude this is my first time seeing narboots are you kidding me like uh, well, and the best part is you still haven't even seen narboots yeah, because yes exactly we yeah, blasted yeah. fog machines at noon <laughs> and so the whole place is full of fog and it's bright outside the sun's shining in to the room and so it's making the fog like totally opaque. You can't see a foot in front of your face. Yeah, I didn't see shit. I just like, I think like the smoke cleared and like, at least Aaron like didn't have his shirt on. And like, there was just like, everyone, 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 had, everyone had smiles on their faces. And I was just like, what the fuck? Gu guaranteed I didn't have my shirt on. I mean, that's <laughs> pretty much every Narboot show. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that was fun. So yeah, thank you for for letting me do that. But yeah, that was that was the first time I played played with Adam for sure. Um, well, yeah, we didn't do. Yeah, so I guess in the studio with you would have been the second time. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Wow. This is funny because I mean I I have like total trust in your drumming. So like, I just was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd heard enough of the other stuff that you recorded. And I knew that you were like a solid dude. So I was like, all right, well, you can do this. Yeah. I mean, the, the day I was there, like, yeah, you were just solid. Just for me, like, I don't play drums that much. So when I did, we recorded three songs with me, but you only used two. But I was just struggling. Like my wrists were hurting because my those muscles are just underdeveloped at this point in my life. Well, and we, we started with something that was a little bit more... Um like nuanced and we took a bunch of runs at it because we were still kind of working it out and it has that weird hi-hat part in it and so by the time you got to the third song you were just gassed yeah like and like you being gassed was throwing everybody else off so it wasn't even that you played terrible on that song it's that everybody played terrible on that song yeah so like it was just like there was nothing to salvage from it so i was like all right we'll just scrap this one but yeah, I remember watching Brent though, and Brent just seemed like he was just <laughs> like, 
low key, just like busting out these fast punk ska songs. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't believe I made it through that. No, I, th- I think, I th- truthfully, I think Justin did the best that day. But I was, <laughs> I was the same thing about him. I was like, fuck, he's so good. And I'm just like, fucking, I'm just like an asshole. And I, even the songs that you played too, like, um, I can't think of the fucking song. What's like the slower song that's on the record? Rather playing? Be Alone. Yeah, like the, the shit you were doing with my hats. I'm like, fuck, I can't even do that. Because so, like when we played that song live, I think I actually had to simplify a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I think the interest, the interesting thing to me was like, I had been kind of thinking like, okay, the stuff that leans heavier ska, I'll have Brent play. And the stuff that leans heavier, like fast punk, I'll have Justin play. But then the funny thing is, is you can play like fast money beat. No problem. <laughs> like, I don't So I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. That was actually the first thing I learned how to play on the drums, which is a mistake because then from there on out, I just didn't learn how to be a better drummer. <laughs> <laughs> Just money beat for everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> what do you call that meat? What do you call that beat? I just call it a double time punk beat. Um, yeah, I don't know what do I you do. Like a, do you do like a double bounce on the bass drum? I I can, but I don't. I just, I mean, I uh, I do the uh, the Josh Freeze kick pattern, which is a more simple pattern, if you will. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't I don't do the uh, I don't do the the no effects. I, I can, but it's tiring as fuck, and it's also unnecessary. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> Joey used to used to cheat it back in the day. He would he got a double, double bass pedal. Yeah, yeah, I used to do that too. It shit sucks. Fuck that. I want to ask you about how it was running a Kickstarter. I thought you were going to ask me about Surge because Aaron mentioned that too. Uh... <laughs> I know all about you drinking Surge, man. I know you're a kid of like. You're a kid of Nickelodeon and drinking Surge and playing Tony Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, no, running the Kickstarter. So uh, I'm going to give all this credit to Reed, actually, because Reed was the one who spearheaded most of that. Um, I was just there to, like, help with, uh, like, our ridiculous marketing ideas and stuff like that, as well as, like, I, I helped Reed, like, ship everything. But Reed was, like, the, you know, the reason, like, saying, like, hey, we sh- we should do it like this and, you know. Um, I think I was there to, again, like bounce ideas and stuff like that. But, uh, but running the Kickstarter was um, the very, it was like the most stressful 30 days like ever. Um, But, but we got it to where it needed to be. And it was, it just shows like, like a lot of people, I know there's like a lot of stigma with, um, with crowdfunding and, you know, it shows like, like comes across as like begging or like, it's just like not respectful to your fans or whatever people want to say. But like, you know, the way that we approached it um, was just kind of like, hey, like it was, it was, we, we basically tried to stay away from um, using words like help us fund. And um, um, what was the other things we like the other like language we were trying to stay away from. I can't remember, but like in any case, it was just kind of like, hey, this is like, we have a new record. It's already done. You can pre-order it. And when you pre-order it, you can also get these other cool perks along with it if you'd like. Um, and you can do it through a Kickstarter. And if you don't want to do it, that's totally cool. The record will be free on streaming when it comes out. And so like, it was just like that kind of thing. And it was basically like, um, you know, uh, Flying Raccoon say it's doing run right, right now. Shout out to them um, because I helped them kind of like set theirs up too. And it was like the same thing. I was just kind of like, dude, if if, if, you, if there's if there's no one that 
able to put out your record like this is a good tool to use and there's there's nothing wrong with it like people will show up to help you get this done um and and again they're going to get cool stuff in return and it's like this uh it's it's no different than um you know just doing a pre-order campaign really i mean it's uh, I, I there obviously are bands that do it like in, in a distasteful way and there's that for too much money or this and that but like yeah i mean if you if all your math is there and you're asking for exactly what you need to get whatever it is that you want done and you're you're just you're giving a cool product and like you're you're making it fun then like i don't think there's anything wrong with that and um we were fortunate with um our buddy chris who does all of our current music videos um he had just kind of like warehouse space at the time uh which is like all sorts of ridiculous just like props and all sorts of just like weird shit um and so kind of the way we did the marketing was like me and reed would just like show up to chris's warehouse and like would be like all right cool so we're like you know 50 percent funded like what should we make the next video at or like and we'd be like let's make it like this all right cool like well what, what if reed wore this like ridiculous like virtual reality headset and we called it a virtual rude boy um you know and so like we would just do videos on the fly and then we would just like run new ads with them like every couple of days or so and it was funny because a lot of people would be like y'all did y'all planned it like look like you planned this so well and it was so exact and precise and like blah blah and i was just like nobody knew that we were just like straight up just making it up as we went along um yeah it, it did a, you guys did a good job of keeping it looking like um you had a really good plan in place I mean, <laughs> it was really funny and the whole thing came off as like really cohesive too yeah um, i mean from from a you know discerning eye i feel like uh you know it looked like a really well-planned campaign so it's interesting to hear that it was like your seat of your pants uh, i was just gonna say that uh, i've talked i've interviewed a few bands that have done like kickstarter campaigns like the ones that i feel like are where they're actually invested in giving people like their money's worth and stuff like and that's kind of like what you're talking about and they've all told me that it is so much work that it's almost like they're not even sure you know if it's worth it because like it's not like you're getting free money. You are like working your ass off for this money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's again, it's the same thing as doing free orders, but like, it's like, it's you're consolidating the entire campaign into this one like web page, And so like people can like cheer you along because they know how much you've raised so far and like how many things have sold yeah. and this and that. And so like, and that, that's the thing that makes it exciting. And it's the engagement factor for, for, for fans or, or people discovering your band and whatnot, I think. Um, part of the charm for us was like, um, it's funny, like uh, leading up to like, I guess like when We Are The Union like kind of broke up, I guess, like Reed was always notorious for just like, quote unquote, hating fun. He actually said that, I believe in an interview one point too, where he was like, everyone thinks they hate fun. Uh, just like always, just like always looked angry. <laughs> and always had something to be angry about and stuff like that and so like not that there was much marketing in the the early we are the union days but there was like this perception that they were a very serious band and blah 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 and so um you know with those videos reed was just like a fucking goofball and that was like like a lot of, a lot of the og fans were like this is fucking great because reed's having fun holy shit uh and so that was part of it um, and it was also just ridiculous and it was fun. So, um, yeah, so it was, it was a crazy experience. And, and, you know, what's funny is like when we were first starting that, 
was right when Bad Time Records was first starting. Um, it was right when like Mike had just put out just that first, or not the first Kill Lincoln record, but whatever Kill Lincoln record that was that he put out as the first ever Bad Time Records release. Um, and I remember when Mike did that, I was just like, you're starting a Scott label in 2018. That's like the worst idea ever. Like, what, what are you, what are you doing? Um, and you know, one of the, one of the perks that we did was we, we, we had, we were already supposed to do a 10 year repress of the first premiere of the union record anyways. It was supposed to happen like the year before the Kickstarter, but it didn't. And so we're like, well, we already have the R and like, this is all ready to go. Like, let's just do it. And we're like, well, it's, it's going to be kind of weird. Like we, we, we're already like funding this record. We can't really fund this record. Like, what if we get someone to help us? And like, before I, I, I just remember like talking to Reed, I'm like, no, Mike Kaczynski just started a record label. Like I can probably convince him to do like this part of this. And like, before I even asked Mike, I remember like telling Mike, we were going to be putting out the record. Mike was like, yo, I just started a record label. Do you want me to put it out? And so <laughs> we were both thinking the same thing. And so like Mike, so like, yeah, Mike did the, it was supposed to be the 10 year anniversary repress of the uh, Who We Are record. But yeah, I think it technically came out 11 years after the original release. Um, and and fun fact, uh, the record that we put out in the Kickstarter was not put out on Bad Time, obviously, but we actually went through Mike to order the, the records themselves because we were lazy. So um, <laughs> shout out to Mike uh, for helping us out with, with all that. Um, but yeah. In Defense of Ska will return in a moment. It was, uh, it was cool. It was fun. And it's, um, I don't, I mean, I, I could see there be a situation where we would maybe do that again. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. So I've got, I've got one thing to kind of wrap us, wrap us up with. Sure. So, your, right. your handle on a lot of things, I don't know if it's, I know it's on Instagram. I don't know if it's everything else is please tag me in your ska memes or is it ska posts? Ska posts. Ska posts. Yeah. So there's, there's all these stupid memes and jokes at the expense of, of ska. There's the um, Andy Samberg video clip. There's the mozzarella sticks bullshit. Um, at, as far as like, you know, in defense of ska, one of the things that I've, I've heard, I think you express and I've heard Aaron express um, is that jokes at the expense of ska from people who don't actually enjoy ska stick out like a sore thumb. Like the ones, the ones where you can tell that it's like playful ribbing from somebody who actually at least understands ska seem to go a lot better. So I was wondering if you, if you could speak to that a little bit since you are the guy who everybody sends the memes. <laughs> well, um, again, the, 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 the branding, if you will, kind of came about from um, just like this, I'm going to create this like over-exaggerated persona uh, that these people who don't like Scott anymore, like think I actually am. Um, and so like, that's where, cause it's like, I, I, I think that, I think what you're getting at is like, yeah, like a lot of the people who don't like Scar are all the people are always the people who are like the, you know, the 17th through 50th person to tag me in the same fucking thing. And I'm just like, I think it's cute that y'all think you're the first person to show me this fucking thing that I've seen a hundred times today. Um, but also, why would you know? Because you stopped liking Scar fucking 15 years ago, you know? Um, and so, 
yeah i mean it, yeah i guess that's the thing is like there's there's never really um anyone who like is like engulfed in ska as much as we are who are the people tagging us in unless it's like unless it's like uh you know a fresh dank meme that they just made themselves you know i want to see that you know and an artisan ska meme if you will but do you see like a difference between the way um in you know in in ska people joke and make fun of ska versus the way um people who clearly don't like ska but they want to make they want to joke about it like i swear like for me like sometimes i'll be on a post and maybe joking around and then some random person who is joking i guess thinks it's funny just goes ska sucks and you should be embarrassed by it and like i think they think that they're getting me with that comment but that's just, <laughs> just like the stupidest like okay well <laughs> that's dumb I think the music you like sucks. And I mean, that's not even like, there's nothing even satirical about what you're saying. You're not like, you're not getting me. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like, again, most of the people that, that mock it are, well, well, you know, as, as Mike Park always says, it's people that just don't understand the genre in general. But I think it's, it's also people who are arguably listening to more cringeworthy music, you know? Yeah. Like, I have friends who, like, think ska fucking is terrible, but then they'll listen to, like, pop artists. And I'm just like, you listen to like terrible pop music from the radio. How is that any worse than liking ska? Also, like ska is, is good. Like you're listening to that because someone's telling you it's cool. Like it's not. It's not cool and it's not good. I'm sorry. Like uh, I guess no shade is pop. I don't know why I'm saying that. I what do I say? Like I have terrible taste in music. All right. Uh, but, <laughs> but, but but yeah, you know what I'm saying. Like it's just like you know, ska is is something that's made fun of. But I mean, you can argue that any genre can be made fun of. I don't understand. Like you know, obviously this is like we sound like broken records, but it's just like there's there's shitty ska bands, but there's also shitty bands in every fucking genre. Like yeah. So yeah, I don't know. But yeah, it's like yeah, I always anytime the people that make fun of it's always like I'll like I know what they listen to, and I'm just like I don't think this is any better. Also, like those people also like there is probably more overlap with the bands that we do like than there is with the bands that we don't like and they don't understand that because again if you like ska apparently that's the only genre you fucking listen to you know which mm-hmm. is like it's so weird to think that way and but i don't know but you know ska's dope you know yeah and on that note i think we uh we are at our conclusion for the episode um Thanks for coming on. I don't know if there's anything you want to um, promote or anything. I'm not. No, I mean, I think I, I think I, you know, kind of like mentioned most of it. Like, obviously, yeah. you know, my band, We Are the Union, and obviously on the God. And, uh, you know, I don't think I need to plug Scott Tune Network. I think Jeremy has more fans than any of us will ever have. But, um, <laughs> yeah. but also, um, you know, memes. Make sure you send all the memes to Brent. Yes, uh, please tag me in your Scott post as my Instagram. Please tag me in every Scott post that, that, you, that you have. So, <laughs> the thing is, it's like, okay, real quick, that was never supposed to be an actual call to action, but like straight up people do that. And like, I'll get tagged in posts that have nothing to do with me. And I'm just like, no, no, that's not a real call to action. Like, this is satire. Like, please don't. But also, like, <laughs> but also, please do.
Thank you so much for listening to In Defense of Scum. If you haven't already, subscribe to my newsletter at aaronharms.substack.com. You will get episodes of the In Defense of Scum podcast and other content sent directly to your inbox. If you would like to pre-order my book, In Defense of Scum, go to clashbooks.com. It releases on May 4th, 2021. On that note, we leave you by saying, Ska now more than ever. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.